0: The challenge of this series. Let me just say this before we get into it, guys. Plan right now to take advantage of this right now media. Uh, we're gonna. We we always are looking at ways that we can invest in you. You guys invest in the church, and and of course our staff invests in the church too. Our staff pays their tithes here at the church, and um, we just want to look at ways we can help you, ways we can bless you, ways we can give back to you. It would cost uh, you several hundred dollars a year to be able to have this in an individual uh, account with Right Now Media. But we have purchased it as a church, which is a church our size, is about $5,000 a year. We wanted to purchase that, and we wanted to give you a free membership. So make sure make sure that you take advantage I mean, really, really, really excellent, excellent, excellent teaching on there uh, that you can do with your small group or individually with your family. Please, please, please take advantage of that. And I just appreciate our staff and our executive, uh, Pastor Jim Gilligan, for seeing this and uh, saying, you know what, that's something we need to do for our church. So what is the challenge of this sermon series, Now What? Here's what the challenge is. We want you to discover... Your next step toward God. Your next step toward God. What can you do? What step can you take? Because we read in James that God said, if you will take one step toward me, I'll take one step toward you. We talked about that 100% return on your investment. So you take a step. God will take a step. So it's your move. God's saying it's your move. What is your next move? What is your next step? What is the next thing you're going to do to be more like Christ? What is the next thing you're going to do to be a better Christian, to be a more healthy Christian, to be a less self-centered person and a more giving, loving, Christ-like person? So we want you to discover that. We're going to help you. We're going to give you some ideas and thoughts. And then once you know it, be bold and take it. Discover your next step, then be bold and take it. Last week we talked about two stages in the life of a person who is becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. The first stage is that stage when you are not yet a believer, but you sense the Holy Spirit calling you. You sense the Holy Spirit wooing you and calling you to God. And so you come under conviction for your sin, and you might finally make a decision, I want to live my life for Christ. I want to live the rest of my life for Christ. And so you You make that decision, you believe in the cross, you believe in the death, you believe that it was the payment for penalty for your sin, you accept that. He rose from the dead, you accept that. You know that was for you. So you accept the work of Christ and you accept the person of Christ as your Lord and Savior. You humble yourself before him. That's called being saved That's called being born again, redeemed, that's salvation. So once you become a believer, then we talked last week about steps you can take right after you become a believer. What does Paul say that you are right after you first become a believer? A what in Christ? A babe. You're a little baby, so you've got to be nourished on God's Word. So we gave you last week, and if you didn't hear that message, I hope you'll go to our website. You can listen to it. You can listen and watch uh, that message and see what we talked about there. So, today and uh, next week, we're gonna talk about a multiple choice of next steps that you can take. You don't have to, everybody doesn't have to choose the same path. There's one path to Christ, but then after you become a Christian, there are several ways you can develop and mature in your walk with God. I think Bible reading and prayer is absolutely essential for all of us, not just the Bible reading and prayer we do at church, but our private time, our private Bible time, and our private prayer time is so essential to deepening and developing our relationship with Jesus. We talked about that last week, how that reading the Bible is God talking to you, praying is you talking to God. That's called a conversation that's called communication, and that's how relationships are deepened. And so I think it would be impossible, really, for you to leave out prayer and the study of the Word and really get any further in your relationship with God. So that's essential. But there are some other things that are kind of choices, and today we're going to talk about one that really is a choice uh, for you, whether you would do this or not. We're going to encourage you very much to do so today. We're going to talk about church membership. And really here at the bridge, we don't call it church membership. We call it church ownership. And that is because members have rights and owners have responsibilities. And so we don't really have members here in the technical sense. We have owners. We want you to own it. We want you to own the vision. We want you to own responsibility. In other words, let me give you a little example. You walk up on the property this morning. You see a piece of trash. You're an owner. You don't look for somebody else to get that. You don't expect somebody else to get that. You say, I take ownership. I'm going to go over there and get that because when an unbeliever drives up on our property, I want them to see a clean, nice property that reflects excellence and f- reflects who Jesus is. So taking ownership. Here's when you're not taking ownership. Anytime you have this thought or anytime you say these words, that's not my job. That's not my job. I had a staff member, not here at this church, but at another church I served, uh, to say to me, I asked him to do something. He said, that's not my job. I said, do you want a job? <laughs> he said, yeah, I want a job. I said, then here's your job description. Everything we told you plus anything else I ask you to do. Amen? Because that's, that's how I lived as the senior pastor. Hey, listen, if the bathroom didn't get cleaned up, I was an owner. I got in there and cleaned that bathroom up, and I did that a lot of times in smaller churches that I pastored. I did whatever needed to be done, and so I want to ask you to do that. I want you to look around. I want you to uh, see things that might need repairs. a matter of fact, we even got a place on our website that if you're walking around and you see something broken or you see something that's not cleaned properly, or you see something that's not working right, a bub burned out or something like that, you can go on our website and there's a place right there where you tell us, hey man, I've noticed you know, last week or last couple of weeks I've noticed this little place that y'all might want to give some attention to, and we'll get somebody right on that. Matter of fact, we might call you back and get you on it. (laughs) So don't be nervous about that. We've got people who do those kind of jobs, but we want you to at least make that call. And say, you know what? I want my church right. I want my church looking right. It's God's church, but I own the vision. Amen? Y'all with me? All right. So let's talk a little bit about membership and ownership. If I'm a member of a gym and I'm working out so hard that I break one of the barbells, I mean, that could happen. I mean, I'm you know, when I get into it, I'm awesome. And let's say, you know, I bend the bar. <laughs> It'd be more likely I fell down on that walking deal. Um, But anyway, if something broke, if I'm a member of the gym, then I pay dues. So I expect certain services. So if the treadmill isn't working right, I don't fix it. I just go complain about it, and then i walk out. But if I own that gym and that treadmill isn't working, i got to make sure that gets fixed. See the difference? If I'm a member of a golf uh, club or a a, um, country club, And uh, I'm going in there and uh, playing golf. I pay dues every month or I pay dues annually or however. And the air conditioner breaks down in the clubhouse. If I'm a member, then I'm going to just go up there and say, hey, man, the air conditioner's broke. Y'all need to get that fixed. If I'm an owner, I got to see that it gets fixed. You see the difference? We want you guys to own what's going on here at the bridge. We want you to take responsibility. We want you, when you walk on campus, head on swivel. You're looking around. You're seeing if there's somebody you can serve. You're seeing if, they, if there's somebody parked in a visitor's place, and they might not be. They might be a visitor, but maybe all the visitor spots were taken. That'd be a great problem to have, wouldn't it? And uh, they had to park somewhere else, and maybe it's a a young woman who her husband is deployed, or even uh, we even have men who their wives are deployed and they're left with the children, and you see them struggling, then you go over and say, hey, I have a, I'm a member here at the bridge or I'm an owner here at the bridge. Can I help you guys? Would you like some help? And then pitch in and help them. Hold an umbrella over them. Uh, this would be a great day to do something like that. Look around and see who you can serve. Own, own your Uh, relationship here with the bridge own the uh, vision the mission all of that take ownership of that so let's face it commitment is a rare commodity these days so it shouldn't be a surprise to any of us that church members or church membership is a very low priority for many Christians they don't even think about it really a lot of times Back in the day, church membership was more of an automatic thing. If you came to a church for a while, you would be approached about church membership. They would urge you. Matter of fact, I know churches, you can join the first Sunday you attend. You just walk up to the front of the church and join. Right then, uh, we don't practice that here because we believe before a person becomes a member owner, they need to become a believer. They need to be a believer first. and There also needs to be a few classes and instruction so you know what you're joining. So you understand what you're joining. Some churches even send the wrong message that if you join the church, you are a Christian. That if you become a member of a church, you are a Christian. Well, I can tell you what the African-American pastor said about that. He said, man, he was preaching. He said, it doesn't make you a Christian to join a church any more than it makes a... uh, Let me see if I can get this right now. I want to make sure i nail nailed this. If you put kittens in an oven, it don't turn them into biscuits. Amen. Amen. I should have wrote that down. But, uh, but anyway, we, we know in our day that commitment is a rare commodity. And uh, we know it's pretty common today, let's be honest, for Christians to move around from church to church. And they never really feel the necessity of submitting themselves to the care of a particular pastor and particular elders and a particular church. And so many Christians never commit themselves to a specific group of followers. To neglect or refuse or take lightly formal church membership or ownership as we call it often reflects a misunderstanding of the believer's responsibility to the body of Christ. It is essential for every Christian to understand what church membership, ownership is and why it matters. So let's talk about the definition of church ownership, okay? Here at the bridge, church membership. Let me make something really, really clear, and I've already said this, but let me make it even more clear. In 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, and I'm going to read this. It's not going to come up on the screen, but I want you to listen to this verse. 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. Some of us are Jews. Some of us are Gentiles. Some of us are slaves. Some of us are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share together the same spirit. Now, if you'll notice in that verse, the word spirit is a capital S, so it's not talking about the human spirit. It's not talking about a spirit of unity. It is talking about the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what that verse is saying. That verse is saying that joining the bridge doesn't make you a Christian, coming to Jesus' makes you a Christian. Joining a church, being a part of a church, being a part or a member of a denomination does not make you a Christian. Coming to Christ makes you a Christian. As a matter of fact, you cannot be a member of a local church and you are still one of God's children and you are ready for heaven. I want to make that clear. But there are benefits for you when you make that level of commitment where you say something like this. You say, okay, I've been going to the bridge for a while because I think when you're going to make the decision to become a member or an owner here at the bridge or any church, you need to go for a little while. You need to check it out. You need to listen to what the preacher's preaching. You need to listen to what the teachers are teaching. You need to um, uh, listen to the music and the words of the music. You need to meet the people. You need to find out if your heart and that, the heart of that church flow together. And so it's not a quick decision. I'm not telling you to make a quick decision, but I am telling you that there should come a time in your life when you look at a church, let's say you're looking at the bridge, and you say, you know, it's not perfect. The bridge isn't perfect. I've seen some things that aren't perfect. Pastor Farrell certainly isn't perfect. And the staff, I know they're not perfect men. The band isn't perfect. music isn't perfect. It's not a perfect church. But in all of my searching and in all of my prayer, I believe this is the church that I would be most fruitful in. Not really most comfortable, but where I could bear the most fruit, where I could use my gifts, where I could do what God's called me to do. And so I'm going to be an owner. I'm going to become an owner at the bridge. And so that maybe you would have that kind of conversation with yourself. Now, being in the body of Christ, being a Christian, being a believer, qualifies you to be an owner here at the bridge. Just like I said before, before you become an owner, we want to know that you've committed your life to Jesus Christ. Becoming an owner or member of the bridge means that you are formally committing yourself to the vision of the bridge, the mission of the bridge, the purpose of the bridge, the values of the bridge, and the ministries of the bridge. And you might ask, where is all that information? The best place to find all of that is on our website it's all right there and you can read that but if you don't do the website we can get you a copy of all that and let you read about it really the best thing to do would be to take our discovery class and pastor andy talked about that and i talked about that last week and you can just go on our website and find all about the discovery or you can go out here to the connect center and you go to discovery and we help you find out who you are We teach you who we are, where we came from, and what the heart of our church is, and then you can make a decision about whether the bridge is the church God has called you to. When you stand up on this stage, and uh, we do that uh, from time to time, where people who have taken the classes and made the decision they want to be an owner, you will come up on the stage. At that moment, you are publicly identifying with this specific local body of believers and the vision. Let me just give you very quickly a few of the purposes of the bridge. And really, according to the scripture, they should be the purposes of every church. Here's some of the purposes of the bridge. You come here to receive instruction from God's word. We find that in 1 Timothy 4.13, 2 Timothy 4.2. And uh, I'll send you my sermon notes. You guys know how to get those info. Use this email address, info at bridgechurch.cc. And I will send you uh, my sermon notes. And you don't have to worry about writing all these scripture references down. But the purpose of the, of the bridge is where you come to receive instruction from God's word. The second thing you come here for is to serve and to edify so you come to be a blessing to other people, people, but you also come to edify, and we'll talk about edification in just a little while, but basically it means to build up. You come not only to bless other people and serve other people, but you come to build up other people. We'll go into detail about that in a moment. And uh, Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Peter 4 talk about that. And then the third thing, uh, when it comes to purposes of the bridge, you participate in the ordinances of the church like water baptism and Holy Communion. And I'm just proud to report that since the messages we've been preaching in the Now What series, had a bunch of people step up and say, you know what, it's time for me to be baptized. I'm ready to be baptized. So we'll be doing that before too long. And then finally, number four, proclaiming the gospel to those not only who come to church here, but those outside the church who are yet to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I just love Pastor Jimmy. Pastor Jimmy's our outreach pastor. Don't y'all love Pastor Jimmy? Um, if you ever buy Pastor Jimmy a shirt, make sure it's a short sleeve shirt because he is never going to wear a long sleeve shirt. I drove up this morning, and he is walking through the parking lot. It's pouring down rain. It's cold. I'm wrapped up like some little girl. And I look over there, and Pastor Jimmy's got his same shirt he wore in July. He's walking right down the middle of the thing, and he's pulling a cooler. So I know that he is going somewhere to feed somebody who don't have any food and tell them about Jesus. And I love that about our church, and I love it about Pastor Jimmy. Can we give a hand of praise for our outreach ministry? also when a person becomes an owner here at the bridge you are submitting to the care of the leaders and you're also submitting to the authority of the biblically qualified leaders here at the bridge so that talks about the definition let's talk about the foundation let's look at the foundation of church membership Even though the scripture does not explicitly contain a command for you to formally join a local church, the biblical foundation for local church membership is weaved throughout the New Testament. Let me give you just a few examples. The example of the early church. When you read about the early church, you find that people committed to a local body. The church at Ephesus, the church at Corinth, the church at... um, uh, Colossae, uh, we could go on and on, uh, Thessalonica, all of these were local churches. Also, in those churches, there was the existence of church government. So they had government, uh, you know, we have to have organization, we have to have church government, and a lot of people go, uh, you know, we don't need all that in the church, just let the Holy Spirit rule. As a matter of fact, I'll see churches sometimes, they'll advertise uh, We don't have church government. We just lean on the Holy Spirit. And then they'll say things like, we don't preach doctrine here. We just follow the Holy Spirit. Well, I'm going to tell you, I serve a God who's organized. I serve a God who's got his stuff together. And I serve a God who in his word spelled out church government explicitly, spelled out doctrine explicitly. So here's what I would say to you. I want to give you all some advice. If you're ever looking at a church to join that church and they say, we don't have any church government and we don't have any doctrine here, one word of advice run. Run, because that's going to be a crazy place. It's going to be a wild, crazy place, okay? And so I want you to know we believe in church government, we believe in uh, doctrine here at the bridge. And then I want you to notice the exercise of church discipline. In that church government, there is a uh, plan of church discipline. And we need this in our day to hold one another accountable. And then finally, the exhortation or call to mutual edification again, which means building one another up. Let's talk a little bit more in detail about the pattern of the early church as it relates to church membership and why I believe so much in church membership. Now, let me just go ahead and say this. If you're here today and you're like, look, I'm not joining any church. I've already made up my mind. I'm not going to join the bridge. I'm not going to join the church down the street. I'm going to come. I'm going to serve. I'm going to do whatever you folks will let me do to be a blessing, but I'm not going to join a church. That's fine. That's fine. That's between you and God. I just want to show you what the Word of God says, and then I want you to take it, and then you get with God, and you follow what you believe God has given you. Is that fair enough? Is that fair enough? In the early church, Here's something I notice when I read the book of Acts and I read all the other books uh, after the book of Acts. When a person came to Christ, they also came to a local church. When they came to Jesus Christ, when they were saved, when they were born again into the family of God, they were immediately connected to a local church. Also in the early church, the idea of experiencing salvation without belonging to a local church was not an option. When individuals accepted Christ as Savior and Lord, two things happened, if you'll study your Bible. Two things always happened when a person got saved. Number one, they baptized them. And number two, they were added to a local church. Acts 2, Acts 5, Acts 16, we find all of these things. Becoming a Christian meant more in the early church than living out some private commitment to Christ. It is not... Your relationship with God is not to be private. You ever heard somebody say that? They say, hey, listen, man, my relationship with God's between me and God. Nowhere in the Bible does it teach that. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that you need to be bold. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You're nowhere in the Bible, and you might sound so uh, correct when you say my relationship with God, that's between me and God. Uh, but nowhere is that taught in the Bible. You are to, because of your relationship with Jesus Christ, you are to be a bold Christian. There's a difference in being a bold Christian and an obnoxious Christian. Isn't that true? But you can be bold and you can let everybody know I'm a follower of Jesus Christ without being obnoxious. And we know we do see that a lot in the Christian Uh, in the church today, some folks who don't know how to get that balance. And if you ask us if you're obnoxious, we will tell you. (laughs) Becoming a follower of Jesus meant joining together formally with other believers in a local church And devoting themselves to the teaching of the leaders of that church, to the fellowship with the people of that church, to the breaking of bread with one another in communion and in prayer. These are things that happen in the local church, Acts 2 and 42. We should also note, how many of you know what an epistle is? Just say it, just raise your hand. The epistles in the Bible. Now, do not say what a person said one time. When I said, what is an epistle, they said it's an, a wife of an apostle. It is not a wife of an apostle. An epistle is a what? It's a letter. It's a letter. So Paul wrote letters to churches, First and Second Corinthians. So 1 Corinthians would be his first letter. And 2 Corinthians would be his, and y'all are theologians. And then you got Colossians. That was a letter written to the local church at Colossae. Ephesians was written to the local church at Ephesus. We could go on and on. There are many others, Thessalonica and all of these. But then... Uh, we find that these are all local churches. So the idea of a local church started very, very early after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. But he also, you say, well, he didn't write all his epistles to to churches. He wrote some of them to people like uh, Titus. He wrote a letter to him. He wrote a couple letters to Timothy. He wrote a letter to a guy named Philemon. And so all the epistles are not to local churches, Pastor. No, but you know what's true about Philemon? You know what's true about Titus? You know what's true about Timothy? They were all leaders in a local church. All three of those guys were leaders in a local church. So the New Testament letters, epistles, demonstrate that the Lord assumed that believers would be committed to a local assembly, a local church. There's also evidence in the New Testament. uh, We know there was a list of widows that needed financial support. That's in 1 Timothy 5, 9. But it also indicates that there were a list of members in a church. Uh, It was a list of people who had been converted to Christ and were growing as Christians. That's in Acts 2, and verse 41, 47, Acts 5, Acts 16. In fact, listen to this. When a believer—this is in the Bible— When a believer moved from one city to another city, the church often wrote a letter of commendation for this person to take with them in becoming a member at another local church. This is in Acts, Romans, Colossians, 2 Corinthians. So the point I'm trying to make today is that even though the Bible doesn't say join a local church, it is obvious That God, or it's obvious to me, that God assumed we would commit ourselves to one local imperfect, amen? Imperfect, I've never been to a perfect church, imperfect body of Christ that we felt best fitted us. So watch this right here, look up on the screen. The idea of experiencing salvation without belonging to a local church is foreign to the New Testament. In the New Testament, when people were saved, they were immediately connected to a local church. In the book of Acts, much of the terminology, the phrases in the book of Acts, fit only within the context of a formal church membership. And I'll just give you some of them. Uh, It's all of these in the book of Acts. In chapter 6, it uses the phrase, the whole congregation. In chapter 8, it uses the phrase, The church in Jerusalem. In chapter 9, it says, In every church. Um, In uh, chapter 15, it says, The whole church. In uh, chapter 9, it says, The disciples in Jerusalem. In chapter 20, it talks about the elders of the church at Ephesus. So again, just these phrases in the Bible strongly suggest recognizable church membership with well-defined boundaries. You'll find that also in Hebrews and in 1 Corinthians. Now let's talk a little bit about church government. Church government is very, very important. We have to have a flow chart. We have to know who the leader is. We have to know who the leaders are. Um, Pastor Andy went with me. We went to a church this week um, uh, to share what God had done at the bridge and to help them go to the next level as a church. And Pastor Andy went with me one night and spoke. Pastor Andrew went with me one night and spoke about children's ministry. But Pastor Andy talked about the Exodus 18 example. Moses was trying to do all the leading. And don't, don't read that while I'm preaching, but write it in your notes and look it up. And then God sent Moses a message through his father-in-law, Jethro, and his niece, Ellie Mae. And so, I always, I always gets a laugh. So Jethro came to, came to uh, Moses and said, Moses, you're trying to do it all yourself. Divide the people up. Find out who your leaders are and put them over small groups of people. You can't do it all. He told Moses, you're going to kill yourself. You can read all that. So church government is very important. We have bylaws in our church. You're welcome to get a copy of those bylaws. We are incorporated as a church. Uh, you have, Listen to me. You have a administrative pastor, an executive pastor, Jim Gilligan, You have elders, you have a financial board of elders who look at finances. You have a a group of elders that are specifically uh, related to uh, the spiritual part of the church. These gentlemen meet monthly and pray and seek God for the direction of the church. So we have ways we do things. We have policies that we believe help us glorify God and help us to keep everything organized. And, of course, we will tweak those things and change those things as necessary because our bylaws are not infallible. They're, they're, by, they're written by man. So we know they're not perfect and so they can be changed and modified My point to you today is I want you to know that you have a strong group of uh, men and women who stand in leadership in this church, and every single one of them have in their heart the best uh, desires for this church and for you. And I think it was exemplified today in the offer of the Right Now Media that we're making available to you because discipleship and you getting deeper in your relationship with God is essential to your victory as a Christian. And so we want to give you tools and we want to provide you with information that's going to help you be all that you can be for God. And what are we ultimately after? We are ultimately after this, that when we stand before God on the last day, He says, what? Well done. Well done. We want God to say well done to us and we want God to say well done to you. So church government is very important. The consistent pattern throughout the New Testament is that a plurality of godly leaders are to oversee a local church body. The specific duties given to these leaders presuppose a clearly defined group of church members who are under their care. The godly men and women who lead here at the bridge, here's what they're responsible for. Four things. They're responsible to shepherd God's people, Acts and 1 Peter. They are responsible to serve and minister diligently among the people, and that is uh, 1 Thessalonians. They are uh, charged to have charge over the people and to lead them. That's 1 Thessalonians and 1 Timothy. And then it says in Hebrews that the responsibility of the leaders of the church are to keep watch over the souls of the people in the church. The scripture teaches that leaders will give an account one day of how we led. And I want to tell you something. That is always heavy on my heart. That's always heavy on my heart. Do you remember what Paul said Paul was going through a litany of ways that he had been persecuted. He talked about how he had been beaten and how he had been stoned. And he talked about how he had been uh, in a shipwreck. Y'all remember that scripture? And then at the end, he says, but the thing that is constantly on me is the care of all the churches. So when I talk to you about church government, you might say, well, this is boring. But I want to tell you. I bear a tremendous responsibility as the senior pastor, and we bear a tremendous responsibility as your staff that we govern this church in a biblical way so that God, when we stand before him to give an account, Hebrews 13, 1 Peter 5, that he will look at us and say, well done. The way these responsibilities that I just listed for you are laid out in the Bible, again, presupposes that there will be a distinguishable, mutually understood membership in a local church. Now the Bible also says, and you're all going to love this part, not only do I shepherd you, not only do I care for you, not only do I serve you, and when I say I I mean all the leaders, and not only do we minister to you, and I mean primarily the staff that you pay to lead this church, but um, you are to submit to your leaders. And I know we hate that word. I know we hate it. You know, when you preach uh, on marriage and you get to that verse that says women ought to submit to their husbands, you can always feel the tension in the room and you can always feel a little bit of a pushback. And anytime you use the word commit and anytime you use the word submit, our nature kind of pushes back on that a little bit. We, rebe- we rebel in that. But the Bible is clear in Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. The question is, who are my leaders? When we're talking about church membership, we're talking about local churches. The Christian who refuses to join a local church, the Christian who refuses to entrust himself or herself to the care and authority of godly leaders, really doesn't have any leaders. I mean, they can follow, but the moment that maybe we would have to hold them accountable, they could always go, well, I'm not an owner here. I don't have to listen to you. And so you really don't have leaders. For a person to obey your leaders and submit to them, Hebrews 13, 17, that person must submit to the leaders of a particular local body. Now, Since that was so much fun, church government, let's go into something even more fun. Let's talk about the biblical practice of discipline in the church and edification. Everybody go, amen. Amen. How many of you know we need discipline? If Pastor Farrell messes up, if I fail, and I'm subject to fail, I'm a human being. If I fail, if I sin, if I mess up, don't you want a church board that's going to hold me accountable? Yes, you can say amen to that. I do. I want a church board that's going to say, Pastor, we need you to come in. We need to talk to you about some things that we've heard or things that we've seen, and we need to talk to you about that. What if we have a board member? What if we have a staff member who has an affair or embezzles some money or just does something that kind of gets out there publicly? You know what saves the reputation of the church in a situation like that? Is that we have a plan of discipline in place not to kick that person out, but to what? restore them, to restore them back to God. So I want you to know we have a plan of discipline, and it wasn't really hard to develop a plan because it's in the Bible. That plan of discipline is laid out in the Bible. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17, I'm not going to read that, but Jesus outlines the way a church is to seek restoration of a believer who's fallen into sin. It's a four-step plan and uh, in step one, one person goes to the one who has, who has done wrong and talks to them. If they won't hear it, if they won't repent, if they won't humble themselves and say, I was wrong, then that person goes. The next step, the Bible says, is you take two or three with you and uh, hold him down. No, I'm kidding. You take two or three with you, and a group goes and says, listen, brother, listen, sister, we love you, and and you know this is true. You can't do this if you don't know it's true, but we know this is true. We know this is the situation. You know it is, and so we've got to do something about this. We've got to take some changes, make some changes. You've got to step down from leadership. If they're in leadership, they have to step down, and then you need to go through a restoration process that probably would involve some counseling and other things, and then if they look at those three people and go, no, I'm not doing it. I'm just as good as you are, and And, you know, this happens sometimes. People have this reaction. I'm as good as you are. Who are you to do? Who are you to what? Judge me. And so there we go. And uh, so then the Bible says if on that occasion they don't um, confess and own up and take responsibility, then you bring it before the whole church. Now, we've never had to do this since I've been the pastor of the bridge. But the plan is right there. You know what the Bible says then? I'm just telling you what Jesus said. You say, well, that sounds harsh. Well, it's got to be dealt with. It's got to be dealt with. Sin in the church that is not dealt with is like cancer in your body and you refuse to address it. It will begin to spread. It will begin to affect the whole church. How many of you all, maybe you've been a part of it or you know it, of churches that have um, sin has come up in the church, but it got swept under the rug? It got swept under the rug It didn't get dealt with. The person who did it was not confronted. And so we just kind of whispered about it. And we didn't really deal with it. And all of a sudden, a church that was strong and powerful and influential, and people were coming to Christ and being called into the ministry and going out leading others to Christ, all of a sudden that church began to weaken and weaken and weaken and weaken. Listen, God will honor. And it's painful. It's painful. We've gone through some things here at the bridge over the 25 years I've been here where we had to do some discipline like this. But I'll tell you, um, when we, we've had to go to the second step, but we've never had to go to the third step. We've had to go to the second step where uh, we took a group with us and sat down with the person. But at that moment, uh, either they would go, you know what, I'm just leaving. And they wouldn't own their sin. And we, that breaks our heart. That breaks our heart because here's what that means. That means I've got sin, but I'm not going to deal with it. Who do y'all think you are? I'm gone. Take my name off the church roll. I don't want to be an owner anymore. And we that breaks our heart. But most of the time, I'm glad to report, they have said, you're right. You're right, and, and I need to get things right. And they get things right, and then they go through a time of, of uh, spiritual development and counseling and love and and being accountable to somebody over a period of time. And then they can get back in leadership down the road. Now, they won't go back in leadership maybe where they were, but they can start out down here and, and we gain trust in them and they can move right back up to a place of powerful, powerful leadership and influence. Now, the Bible says the fourth step is when a person will not confess and repent and turn around that they're asked to leave the church. And the re- you say, well, now that's wrong. Well, Jesus said it. Do you know why they're asked to leave the church? Because they are damaging. It's poison. It's toxic. When you have a person who has been talked to and confronted and dealt with, and they're a person of influence, they're a person of, of um, uh, that when they speak, people listen. And now that this sin's there, they won't deal with it, they won't own it then you have to ask that person if they will to uh, move out and find another place. And we hope when they do, they will find repentance there. So this is in your Bible, Matthew 18. It's also in 1 Corinthians 5 and 1 Timothy 5. It's also in Titus 3. So the leaders and elders of the bridge have neither the responsibility nor the authority to discipline any Christian anywhere. I mean, we can't go down to... Uh, uh, Ebenezer United Methodist down here and go hey you guys got an unbeliever uh, or you got a believer that's committing sin we, we want to meet with them they'll, they'll tell us hey we got this none of your business so that means there's a local church and there's a local group of believers we know who we're responsible for they're responsible for who they're responsible for now we're all in the same body of Christ but we're in different local churches am I making any sense up here today so it's important. It's important. So when you hear about church government at the bridge functioning, when you hear about it working, when you hear about uh, maybe, maybe you hear about the fact, uh, maybe it gets out that we're having to deal with a, a situation in the church where there's sin. Don't go whisper. Don't go criticize. Don't go, who does the pastor think he is? Who does the deacons think they are? Get on your knees and Pray. And pray and say, God, bless our leaders. Give our leaders wisdom. And you can know this. If we ever have to confront somebody, it will be in love. And it will be to restore them back to full fellowship with God and full fellowship with this church. Will you pray for us? Can I ask you to pray for us? Pray for your staff. Pray for your elders. Pray for your leaders. I've got a feeling. That as we wait for the Lord Jesus Christ to return, we may have to do more and more and more of this as the enemy tries to creep into the church and ruin our testimony. So church government and church discipline and edification, these things are very, very important and have to be done in the church, and we need your support. We need your prayers. It's, it, it's easy to criticize. It don't take much size to criticize. Anybody can do it. But when you know there's tension, and, and you know, because we're like a family, you know a church is like a family, and there's no perfect church, and no per- there's going to be tension, there's going to be conflicts, there's going to be times we have to deal with things, let me tell you what you do. You get on your knees and pray. You pray for peace. You pray for, you, you don't get out and gossip. You don't get out in the community and talk. It just breaks my heart. When I run into people in the community and they say, you know what's going on in our church? And I tell you what, I can't believe our pastor's handling it this way. And I just kind of go, you know what? I got to get me some Bojangles or something. I got to go. I'm not going to sit there and listen to that because I don't know anything about that situation. Get on your knees and pray. And don't whisper and don't gossip. Look, part of the ministry of the church is restoring one another. Now, I'm going to act like I didn't say that yet because y'all sat there. Part of the ministry of the church is not just singing and preaching and youth ministry. Sometimes it is accountability. It is restoring one another it's helping each other be the best we can be. How many of y'all want to be a part of a church like that that's on the ball and on the stick when it comes to that kind of thing? Amen? Amen. Thank you. So let's talk about edification. That's a whole lot better topic than discipline. I hope we don't ever have to do this this one. I'm sure we will, but I don't ever like it. But uh, i tell you what I do like about discipline, though. I like it when it works. I like it when people who were running from God stop running and say, I want to come back. I want to be who I used to be, and I want to be stronger than I've ever been. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And we've seen that happen with church discipline. So let's talk about edification. Edification... Uh, The New Testament church teaches that the body of Christ, the church, the people who are saved, are called, calls every member to a life that is to be devoted to the growth of the body. So here's the point of edification. I wore this t-shirt today, and it says up here, it's not about me. And when Miss Millie saw that this morning, she went, yeah, right. That was her response. (laughs) But anyway... Look, it's not just about me. That's what the word edification means. So get this. Here's your job as a Christian. Doesn't mean, I mean, separate from the bridge. You're just, you're a Christian. Here's your job. Your job is to do everything you can every single day to be as much like Jesus as you can, okay? Now, but that isn't all your job. Your job is to help other Christians be everything they can be too. See, we, we, We skip that one. That's what the word edification means. It means to build up another Christian, it means to encourage another Christian. It means to not only do your Bible study, but share with other Christians what you learned in your Bible study, teach them. It is your job as a Christian to improve yourself, yes, but help others improve in their walk. It is your job to instruct and inform the other members of the body. And the way you do this, is by practicing the one another's of the New Testament. All through the New Testament, after the book of Acts, in the book of Acts, and after, is the phrase one another, love one another, pray, one, pray for one another, encourage one another. And that, those are edification, those are commands to edify. You're doing one another's. You're doing that not just for yourself, but you're doing it for others. And there are many, many, many of them, and you're called on to obey them. And then also the way you edify is by exercising your spiritual gift. How many of you know that when our team that goes to Belize, and they're, they're making some pretty good biscuits and, and stuff, aren't they? Who, who got some of that good stuff this morning? Amen. Y'all look fed and happy. So, Belize, they go to Belize to edify other believers. I gotta tell you, when we go to Belize, we're not really going there to win the lost, we're going there to edify a church that is already there so they can reach their community. It isn't our job. Now, we'll go out with them and we'll do some witnessing while we're there, but that's not primarily our job when we go on a mission trip. When you go on a mission trip, it is to edify the Christians who are there to reach their people and reach their community community. And so that's edification. That's a picture of edification. Coming here to church on Sunday and Wednesday or going to your small group and encouraging one another, building one another up. It can only take place in the context of the corporate body of Christ. So let's close. And I'm really done. Look at this next slide. Living out a commitment to the bridge, a local church, involves many responsibilities. Now, you can see them up there real good. Here's what we need from you. Here's what we need from you. If we're going to be a powerful church, if we're going to be an influential church, if we're going to keep reaching people in this community, I need you guys who are Christians to exemplify a godly lifestyle out there. I'm going to say that again because I know y'all didn't hear that. As a representative of the bridge, I need you to exemplify a godly lifestyle out there. Y'all with me? Oh, All right. Now, holiness is not a denomination. Holiness is a lifestyle. You say, is it important? Well, I don't know. I'll let you I'll answer that. It says, without it, you can't see God. I was counting on seeing him. Weren't you? So, I want to live a godly lifestyle. Exer- Here's another thing we need you to do. Exercise your spiritual gifts in service. We need you to serve You say, have y'all got openings? We had a, a person in our children's ministry not long ago. They said, well, I had no idea there were openings over here. Can I make something clear? There are always openings in the children's ministry. Always. We have never looked at anybody and go, no, I think we got all we need. There's always openings on hospitality, the people in the parking lot, the people welcoming. There's always openings. If you're sitting on your seat today, you didn't know what I was going to say right there, did you? If you're sitting on your seat today and you think that we, because we're a big church, we don't have openings, wrong. Wrong. We have openings right now. Now, we're going to do the ministry even though we got openings. But if you're not doing anything, come on, man. Come on, get in. Get down out of the bleachers and get in the game with us. We need you to exercise your spiritual gifts in service. You say, well, I don't know what my spiritual gifts are. That's what discovery's for. And I'll tell you something else. I found out this. When you don't know what your spiritual gift is, if you'll just do something, God's more likely to show you what your niche is. But you got to, remember what he said, if you'll move first, then I'll move. Some of you are waiting to hear from God. God's waiting for you to move. We need you to contribute financially. Oh, I know why y'all are so quiet. You saw number three. (laughs) We need you to contribute financially to the ministry. Money does not fall out of the sky. It doesn't grow on trees. I sound like your mom and daddy when you were little, don't I? You got to give. Some of y'all are tipping God. You got to quit tipping God and you got to start giving. You've got to have that heart of generosity, giving and receiving admonishment. In other words, when we teach you, even if we have to bring correction, you receive it in humility and love. You know we're giving it in love. We're giving it in humility. When the pastor gets up here and preaches, like one girl wrote on Facebook this week, I feel like the pastor's got a camera in my house. And then he gets up on Sunday and preaches on what he saw in my house all week long. That's because we all got the same problems. That's all that is. So, so when I get up here and give you admonishment, then you've got to know I'm giving it in humility and love, not arrogance. But you also got to receive admonishment in humility and love and not fight against it. And the last one, faithfully participate in corporate worship. You know what? That's a fancy way of saying, come to church come to church. Come to church. Let's all stand. You say, man, pastor, church expects a lot. You know why? There's a lot at stake. Let me remind you of something about the church. Because some of y'all are out there going, man, I got my I got my softball team, and I got my kids, and, you know, they're in dance, and they're in this, and soccer, and I got this, and then I got, you know, all my doctor stuff, and then I got all my my job. Listen, we're the only institution you're associated with that deals with eternity. All that other stuff in your life is going to end. What we deal with in here is what's going to happen after it all ends. Is there anything more important than that? So that's why we're not afraid to ask for this because so much is at stake. Watch one final slide. Only when every believer is faithful to this kind of commitment is the church able to live up to its calling as Christ's representative here on earth. So when you're obedient, the church is what it ought to be in the community. Amen.